0: Last Sunday, I started talking about (laughs) the way I described it as the big three of the New Testament. There are uh, three figures that rise above the others when we read the story of the New Testament in the first century church, and at least in my mind, uh, they each capture one of the... um, primary things to overcome uh, through Jesus. And in this sermon series this summer, we've talked about being overcomers. And just as I studied the, um, do you want to tag team on this or anything? Okay. I didn't know he was there. Uh, but you know, as I looked at the characters of the New Testament, really a couple months ago, I just started seeing these three things that emerge that people will give testimony in eternity to overcoming, whether that is their past failures. And we looked at a guy like the thief on the cross and, uh, you know, for some it was, it was a character flaw. There was just something that, uh, sin captured in their heart that demonstrated itself that held them, uh, as a slave that someday Jesus will give power to overcome. And the poster child for that was The character I picked out, one of the big three, which is Peter. Uh, and Peter just kind of, he did things his way. You know, he was, let's just say, he was full of himself. And uh, as he ran in front of people, he invariably tripped over them. But you know the other thing, and we've looked at different characters related to this, one of the other three would be that there is a challenging circumstance. And I think the first sermon was about the blind man in John 9. And... Uh, obviously, what hope does a blind man have of ever receiving his sight? Well, until Jesus shows up. And so, whether it is past failures, whether it is a character flaw, uh, whether it is a challenging circumstance, what we find in the story of the scriptures is that when people brought those things to Jesus, they became overcomers. Not always David Box, if you will stop pinching that baby, she will stop crying. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm screaming too loud. Adeline, I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to bring it down. We love having our kids in church in these days. Um, Whatever it is in our life, whether it's a past failure or past failures, whether it's a character flaw, whether there's a challenging circumstance. Jesus has the power to overcome. Sometimes we don't see that in this world. But in eternity, we will see all those things overcome. When we come and we place that thing or things in the hands of Jesus, he has the power to overcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, the second of the big three is going to be Paul. And, uh, man, this is going to be a quick flyover this morning of Paul's life. I said last week there's no other character other than Jesus in the Gospels that we have more biographical information on than Peter. But other than Jesus, the other character in the, Bible, in the New Testament that we have more information, biographical information on, is Paul. Paul. Because not only does he show up in Acts and really become the dominant figure in the second half of Acts, but he writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And most of those are personal correspondence. They're not theological treatises. And so we glean so much about Paul's life. And so the question is, what was it? That Paul had to overcome. And now this morning we obviously don't have time uh, to cover all of this in detail. But actually actually, it is my job to distill all of this down and give you the punchline in about 20 minutes here. Maybe a little bit longer this morning. Anyhow, hang with me. I know. Uh, but that's my job. And I'm telling you. As you look through Luke's account of the of Acts of the early church, and you look through Paul's writings, uh, you come to this one dominant idea, and it's captured in words of Paul in First Timothy, chapter 1, one. Timothy chapter one. Actually, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures, but this is one of the. There's kind of a, a big one at the first, and there's a big one at the end, and the others in between kind of illustrate it. But notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, and I want to read 12 through 15. He's talked about the gospel in verse 11, and he says in verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and here's his line, of whom I am chief. I use this as a scripture because it expresses the mindset of Paul throughout his life, even 30 years after his conversion, Paul considered himself to be the chief of sinners. And if, and, if, and if Peter, one of the big three, is the poster child of the character flaw, then Paul is the poster child of the one who overcame past failures. Paul considers himself to be the chief of sinners. That word chief is a word that means foremost, premier. I believe the idea that expresses it in English would be he considers himself the worst of sinners. Paul considers himself to be the worst of sinners. What is it that Paul had to overcome? He had to overcome his past failures of his sin. He describes that in in verse 13. He gives three words. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer. Uh, A blasphemer is one who curses God. And Paul would say looking back after his conversion for him to have cursed Christ in his days of persecution. He would have thrown himself in this category of being guilty of a blasphemer. Uh, it's kind of interesting that the early religious leaders accused Jesus and the followers of Jesus of being blasphemers. It is... Oh, let me just put it in terms of today. It is a word like racist is today. No, it's, it's that kind of heightened word. Um, it's kind of as bad as you could get. He was a blasphemer. And so he says when he cursed Christ, he was guilty of being a blasphemer. But really the dominant word in the midst of this is the word persecutor. In fact, we're going to see it repeatedly throughout. That when Paul says he was a persecutor, uh, it means that he violently opposed Christ and the church. Uh, He was about afflicting pain and suffering and opposing every way he could Christ and his movement. The other word there, so he says he is a blasphemer, he is a persecutor, the other word is he is an insolent man. Now, I have a lot of education, I'm thinking what in the world does insolent mean? When I looked it up, the way I could define it best is that uh, to be insolent is to be sadistically cruel, sadistically cruel. An insolent person, and Paul puts himself in that category, took pleasure in the pain of others, and specifically for Christians uh, in the Christ movement. Now, that's what he says. I am the chief of sinners. I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor. I was an insolent man. There's two other things that I want you just to pick from this and we're going to move on. In verse 12, he says that God counted him faithful to put him into the ministry. I want you you to put that thought in your brain because in about 15 minutes we're going to come back to it. The The other thought is in verse 14 when he says... And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. So I want you to put that other thought in your brain. That it was the grace of God that was extremely abundant to the chief of sinners. Uh, When Paul looked back on his life, uh, he would consider himself the chief of sinners primarily because he persecuted the church. And in turn he persecuted Christ. When we are introduced to Paul the first time in Acts chapter 7, it is within the context of persecution. Stephen is being stoned to death and it says in Acts seven fifty eight, this is the first time that Saul, who was formerly known as Saul, is introduced into the narrative of the story of the early church. Acts 7, 58. And they cast him out of the city, Stephen, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. The first time Saul is introduced into the narrative, it is in the context of persecution. Uh, In chapter 8, just a couple verses after that, verse 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. And so, this is the second time his name is mentioned. And actually, I didn't include this in my verses that will appear on the screen, but in verse 3 of chapter 8, it says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them... To prison. When Paul is introduced to the story of the first century church, it is in the context of persecution. When Paul is converted, when he encounters Christ in Acts chapter 9, it is as he is going to persecute Christians. Most of you know this story, but in chapter 9 of Acts it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest... And ask letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul's conversion happens in the midst of his pursuit to persecute Christians. And when he encounters Jesus, Jesus said, you're persecuting. He didn't even say the church. Jesus said, no, you're persecuting me. And that, that's a very significant thought. And Paul realized that later to persecute the followers of Christ was to persecute Christ himself. That's what Jesus said. When, we know this is on Paul's mind because as Paul tells his story years later, he talks about his early life and the description is he was a persecutor. There's two times that he gives testimony uh, to his previous life and to his conversion. Uh, But in Acts 22, verses 4 and 5, as he stands, when he's arrested in Jerusalem that day, don't have time to set this up, but as he is addressing the crowd and he's giving his story, he speaks of his former life in verses 4 and 5, and he says, I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Uh, in Acts 26 when he is before King Agrippa He he gives testimony. When he describes his early life, this is a key component. He is a persecutor of the church. And so in Acts 26, verse 9 through 11, he said, this is what he tells King Agrippa, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So when Paul looks back on his life, this is the way he categorizes it. And this is the words of Luke. In the history. But when Paul writes about these experiences in his letters, this is what he says I was a persecutor of the church. In Philippians 3 uh, 4 through 6, he's talking about his righteousness, but then also his sin. But in Philippians 3 4, 5, and 6, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks, He may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. He begins to describe his his righteousness, his self-righteousness, circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. And then here it is in verse 6: concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He goes, You want to talk about somebody who was, according to the religion that he found himself in, was zealous. He said, I was so zealous, I was persecuting the church. This is the way he describes his life in his own, his own personal words. One final one in Galatians 1.13. Uh, he says to the Galatians, Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So if you just summarize all of this, if you just put all those scriptures together and what was in the mind of Paul about that former life, he zealously opposed Christianity. He hunted down Christians, even to faraway places pressuring them to renounce their faith. If they did not, he had them arrested. You know, one of the phrases that surfaces in all of those, or most of those, both men and women. And it, it says it on about three or four of those. It's like, no, he, he wasn't just looking for the guys. He was, he was ruthless. He was dragging off women too. He had them arrested and put in prison and he voted to have them beaten and killed. He did everything he could to destroy Christ and the church. And when you understand what is in the mind of Paul, what you understand, that is the reason Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst of sinners because he persecuted The church. Now, one of the things we have to understand from Paul mm -hmm, is that there are some sins that are worse than others. Sometimes we kind of say in Christian circles, "like Well, all sin is sin; all sin is, you know, the same to God. It all violates God." And there is there is a certain truth in that. But for Paul to say that he was the chief or the worst of sinners, what he was saying is there are some sins that are worse than others. And let's just be honest, Paul is the great New Testament theologian. So I would say if Paul says there's some sins that are worse than others, then I'm probably going to go with Paul on this one. Let let me describe it this way. This is a very, uh, uh, very everyday illustration maybe even taken from the Smith household <clears throat> I'm not implicating anyone today except Hey number three but anyhow uh, it is one thing to be late for curfew I- I'm not implicating anyone here today okay It is one thing to be late for curfew. It is one thing to take out the trash with a bad attitude. It is one thing not to make your bed in the morning when you've been told to make your bed. I know that's a little hypocritical of me. But anyhow, we're talking about the kids right here. Yeah. It is one thing to be late for curfew. Or to have a bad attitude taking out the trash or not making your bed up in the morning, it is another thing to slap your mama. Amen. Do you understand me? Uh, I, don't, I know this is a very, I'm sorry, I don't mean to implicate any kids in the balcony this morning either, okay? Uh, When you slap your mama, you have have disrespected her, not her rules. It is one thing to violate a rule. It's another thing to violate a person. And I think the reason Paul said he was the worst of sinners is because it wasn't that he had broken the rules. It's that he had violated the very person of God. God. By persecuting Christ and the church. Do you get it? And here's the thing. It doesn't doesn't matter if you abide by all of the rules but you disrespect the person. You can't slap your mama and say, well, I was on time for curfew. I took out the trash with a good attitude and I made my bed this morning. No, you still, this this is about to be a beatdown. I don't even know where Daryl Smith would have gone. I would have been in prison ministry right now, quite honestly. Let's just be honest. And there would have been a lot of people getting saved in that prison. And it would have been a good thing. But there would have been one less human being walking the face of this earth. They would have gone to see Jesus that day. Um, You see Paul's self-righteousness. Couldn't, all the good things that he had done as a religious person did not make up for the fact that he had disrespected the very person of God in Christ Jesus and what Jesus loved more than anything else, which was the church. Does that make sense? So I think from Paul's own life, we would have to say, no, there's some sins that are worse than others And that's why Paul would say that he was the worst of sinners. One final scripture that kind of brings us all to a close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 9 and 10. Paul says, For I am the least... Of the apostles, whom in not, who, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the Church of God. We're going have to talk about that right at the end. You go, "Wait a second, Should't have Paul have gotten over this?" He said, "You know what? I'm, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the Church of God. Here it is, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul would consider himself the least of the apostles. But he was the apostle that God used in the greatest way. And Paul would say that is nothing but the grace of God. That God could take the worst of sinners and make him into the greatest preacher, theologian, church planter, missionary of the first century. You see when Paul speaks about grace and he teaches grace and he writes about the gospel of grace, it was a grace that Paul had experienced. And What did Paul experience? Sometimes we think of grace and we think yes there's saving grace and yes that's right at the point of our need when we need Christ and we need a savior then the grace of God is there for us because God has provided a savior yes that is true but i want you to know that also the grace of God hunts us down when we are in rebellion against him do you understand that the day on the day that day on the damascus road Paul, Saul of Tarsus was not looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for him in his pursuit to persecute the church. That was the grace of God that says, I will hunt you down in your rebellion. And then in that moment that you commit your life to Christ, Christ, yes, the grace of God is that God in his grace forgives us of our sins. He forgives us of the worst of our sins. Do you understand the theological point that Paul is making? If Jesus can forgive me, the worst of sinners, he can forgive you. You see, the blood of Jesus is sufficient for our sin. Doesn't matter how good, how bad it is. Do you understand? If the blood of Jesus covers the sin of the worst of sinners, that it includes all of us. It is enough. What Paul experienced in the gospel of grace is that Jesus hunted him down and by his blood he forgave him. But there's even something beyond that. Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus, in his grace, called him to use him as a preacher. Wait a second. Now, wait a second. How are you going to take the worst of sinners and make him the greatest theologian, missionary, church planner, evangelist the church has ever known? That's the grace of God that could flip everything upside down. You see, the grace of Jesus overcomes the worst of sinners. I believe And it's in the scriptures that I've read. That the reason Jesus used Paul so greatly was that Paul never forgot that he was the worst of sinners that God redeemed out of His grace. I think that's it. I thought of the statement that Jesus made. I don't know the reference right off the top of my head but Jesus said he who is forgiven much loves much. And Paul considered himself to be the worst of sinners and experienced the grace of God that would track him down, forgive him, and call him. And, and I know, sometimes we think, it's like well we, got, we've, we have to let the past be the past. But actually it was the past that motivated Paul to be the greatest force in Christianity since Jesus himself. Wow. I think that's what makes Paul one of the big three. <laughs> There'll be a bunch of people gathered around him in heaven to hear his story because there's more to his story. But take heart today that wherever you are Jesus loves you. If you haven't committed your life to Christ we can take it. I have to believe that just like Saul of Tarsus God does not reject you. He does not choose to punish you. He He chooses to hunt you down. And that regardless of what your sin or my sin is That the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover that. And that even then God can use you. Can I speak to you? This is the last thing I want to say. Because most of us probably in this room have been Christians for a number of years. And you say, okay, well, my past is not Saul of Tarsus' past. That's true. But could I ask you to never forget... Where Jesus brought you from and what he did for you. And would you use that as motivation for Jesus to use you? Never forget what it was that Jesus has done for you. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Uh, I'm going to pray. Yes, somebody on the front row just said "Yay!" I think it was actually Jessica Jackson. Now that I no, I, no I'm sorry. It's like, woo! He's finished. Let me say this to you, whether you're in person or you're joining us. If you need to speak to somebody about a commitment to Christ, reach out to us, me, Cricket, Byron. If you're here in person, I'm going to be at the front. If you have a decision to make, Sadie Jackson came last Sunday to present herself to me to say. I've trusted Jesus. I'm ready to be baptized. Maybe you need to do the same. Maybe you need to make another another decision. I'm going to be at the front to receive you this morning. Uh, If you'll hang with us for just a minute, after I say amen, just remain standing, be still, and Byron will have some announcements. If you're watching online, uh, those announcements will scroll through. Uh, So, Father, today uh, we thank you for the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. That, Father, whether we consider ourselves the worst of sinners or the best of sinners, that Jesus' blood was sufficient for me. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his calling in our life that he would choose to use us. And we pray that you would use us this day, this week, for your glory and your honor. And it would be a testimony of how we've overcome through Jesus. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand just right there.